Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. Today on the show, spookums and boogans descend from the skies above, because in space, no one can hear you ween. We'll be discussing RPGs about aliens all month long, starting with Men in Black. So I guess, to fit the season, here come the Men in Black. Something something member. Hey mom, there's something in the back room. Hope it's not Those assholes, Jeff and John. You used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring. We all know it's time for we John, happy ween to you. And a blessed ween to us all. Mm-hmm. To each and every one of us, the three customary blessings of ween. And to thee. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's good. I'm glad that we're right there in the spirit. How's your October going? My October goes wonderfully. I, uh, I've been watching horror movies. I have done little else. Yeah, I just read your latest, latest review, because as folks may or may not know, John does Horrortoberfest, where every day, all month long of October, he'll watch a horror movie and write e- either write a little blog review of it, or uh, which you can find on the website, by the way, at systemmasterypodcast.com, or uh, we'll actually make it into the, the movie mastery for the week, if it's uh, the week that that happens. Yes, indeed. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I always read them. So I was just reading the Banana Splits one, and... Uh, somehow I had it in my head that it absolutely did exist specifically because Five Nights and Freddy said no. I mean, I mean, I don't know for sure. I have no idea. But in my mind, I was like, that has to be the reason this exists. Apparently, the story is apocryphal, but goddamn, how is it not completely true that they were like, let's get on this zeitgeist. And then, I don't know, whoever makes Five Nights at Freddy's. I, I, for some reason, I had Fazbear in my head, but then I was like, no, that's the name of the fucking bear. Uh, whoever made it was like, hell no, we can do better than you. We're Five Nights at Freddy's, bitch. Oh, yeah, I assume there is almost 100% certainty a Five Nights script floating around somewhere that someone is trying to get done. Yeah, well, there's probably a new one now, given that I'm sure whatever it was had originally been the Banana Split script. Mm. So, anyway, that's a good time, and I'm glad you're still doing it, and and, uh, I'm looking forward to reading more. Oh, yeah, and... I wrote a spooky RPG that you can get on yeah, itch. You did. Yeah, I mean, ordinarily we'd save these crass ads like that for the end of the show. God. But sure, yeah, you wrote a uh, abandoned, a cool RPG that uses oh, I'm sorry. What was it as the mechanic? Uh it is cards and then also a jack in the box. Uh, there is you rules just... for doing it with just the cards in case you can't get a jack-in-the-box, because I understand not everybody wants to go out and buy a jack-in-the-box for this game, but uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it it definitely works much better if you can get an actual jack-in-the-box and uh, use that for your tension builder. And that's, uh, that's pay-what-you-want over at itch.io, right? Yep. Uh, it's abandoned. It's under the system mastery name. So pretty easy to find, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's neat. I'm not going to say it's the best thing ever, because I'm very humble. In fact, one might say I'm the humblest. 
I would certainly say that, yes. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And, and though I have said it before, I am not in the mood to say it at the moment. That's <laughs> good. You got you to gotta strike when the iron's hot for that one. Exactly. There are certain times. I'll let you know when it happens, and you'll know when it happens, because when it happens, I'll say you're the humblest person ever. Indeed. I didn't say it that time. That was, that didn't count. No, that was that was in explanation. It's it's mm-hmm. like the song Tribute, but from Tenacious D. <laughs> or technically the song Monster Mash, because Monster Mash is a song about the song The Monster Mash that is not itself the Monster Mash. Indeed. It is a song yeah. telling you that someone else was playing the Monster Mash. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a rich legacy of songs about other songs that do not technically exist. So good. Anything to avoid talking about West End Games. Oh, West End Games. We've done a couple WEG games in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, notably, we did Star Wars, which drew us a lot of ire, because apparently there are lots of editions of the West End Games Star Wars book, and we got the one for assholes. <laughs> Where apparently there's very good ones as well, but ours was like, hey, are your players trying to have fun? Fuck your players. Good. Well, I mean, that's the edition you'd want us to have. Exactly. If we had found the good one, we'd have been like, no, surely someone made a bad one at some point. <laughs> surely this can't be all there is. Uh, this this game, and again, we are reviewing uh, Men in Black, done in the same D6 engine as uh, the Star Wars game, from 1997, which means that this came out between Men in Black 1 and 2. Yeah, there is no reference to Men in Black 2 or later. It is very much all about just the original movie. Although, I'm almost a- even then, it's barely about the original movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm almost a little disappointed this isn't post-Men in Black 2. Uh, I've talked about this before, but for a long time, and I'm not even sure what started it. Did you ever review Men in Black 2 for like a Horrortoberfest or something? No. Because at some point, we had a picture of Lara Flynn Boyle as her character from that movie, Serlina, and I've never seen that movie, so stop me if I'm wrong anywhere. Um, and for the first couple years of our podcast's existence, all of our search engine results were... People trying to find that one picture of Lara Flynn Boyle uh, by Googling things like Lara Flynn Boyle, Men in Black Sexy, or Lara Flynn Boyle, Naked Tits, Please Show Me Her Tits. <laughs> Obviously. And I don't think we ever talked about Men in Black 2 in a real way on the show, ever. It's just that we had that picture on there for whatever reason, and for a long time it was the primary driver of traffic to our existence. Which is just strange. <laughs> I know. I know. It's all petered out now. I mean, actually, I don't know if it has or not. WordPress has just changed their back end, so I can't just see all the search terms. Give me the search terms. Show me. I want to see them. But yeah, this comes out before it, so luckily, both of us have seen all the movies relevant to this book. Yes, indeed. Now, there was a Men in Black cartoon that came out in 97. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have no idea when that came out in 97 in relation to this, but I assume probably didn't have much influence on this. Yeah, you know, I, I think I maybe watched two episodes or so of Men in Black, the animated series. I, I liked the stylization of it. I liked the way that the characters looked and so on. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the show wasn't especially interesting. and I know it didn't last very long. Did it? I don't remember. Well, first of all, it went right back to J and K, 
so oh, it, it lasted it was like, for four seasons. Motherfucker. Okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah. It went right back to J and K and added a female character who was not Maura Tierney's character. No. I am. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia nonsense for it right now. Yeah, after the first Men in Black movie, it's like they all fought like tigers to prevent giving Maura Tierney any more work. Because <laughs> Men in Black 2 was like, uh, I guess we just get K back. Don't worry about it. Fuck it. And then she just never gets mentioned again. Huh. No, I guess she was in this. Agent L is... Uh... She's the blonde? Yeah. That's weird. Okay. They completely Why changed not? the look, but it is supposed to be that person. Fair enough. Uh, well, one of the things I learned from this book, though, is that uh, men in black agents are just given their names by the first in initial of their first name. Uh-huh. So there she could be any agent, L. I don't know. Well, the, Hell, that could be a... The Wikipedia specifically <laughs> says it is the All doctor right. from the first movie. Fine. So fuck you. Uh, I, fine. Fuck me, I guess. That's <laughs> just... Uh, that's Everybody just, that, that's get on board. experience. <laughs> That's one of the many traditions of Ween. Everybody fuck me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's it's not one of the blessings, though, so don't ask me. In fact, don't ask me what the blessings are. Yeah. Just know that yeah. it's fuck with Jeff Day and everybody's celebrating. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, this book, like John mentioned a little bit earlier, has very little to do with the movie. Uh, you wouldn't think that because, of course, it harps on every little point in the movie, uh, turns all the jokes into rules, as a lot of licensed games will do. But the tone of this book is wild. Oh, my God. Now, way back in the day when we reviewed Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm -hmm. RPG, that really set the bar for someone writing an RPG that was based on something comedic and just going too far with it. Yeah. Now, I'll say when Buffy did it, it was largely too Buffy. Like, it, it, it was like, hey, uh, this is like if the Buffy writers were told to put a joke in every other word, but it's still jokes about Buffy, or at least about the like the zeitgeist of Buffy. This, to me, s smacks very heavily of the Ghostbusters RPG we did, where they were just like, I don't know, get anyone to write it. What it, is it important that they've seen or know anything about the movie? No, of course not. Fuck that. Who cares? Just tell them to make it funny as fuck. Oh, yeah. And it just feels like someone's like, uh, all right, let's get the Shriners in here and have them punch up our RPG with just <laughs> the hackiest fucking jokes. <laughs> How many times do you think it's acceptable to put take my wife, please, into the book? Because so far we're at seven. Like, literally, I could go to any page in this and be like, ah, oh, there's a dumb joke. I picked a couple of favorites because, all right, was the Men in Black movie funny? Absolutely. It was a comedy movie, uh, but the comedy was largely a couple of straight man characters interacting with an absurd world, right? Yeah, the the comedy of Men in Black wasn't like, we're doing jokes or our protagonists are particularly funny or goofy or strange themselves. The whole thing is these two professionals trying to interact with a world that is inherently weird. Yeah, and then you had one of them that was completely on board and one of them that was brand new, and that's where most of the tension derived. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of the humor was derived from having Tommy Lee Jones say crazy things with absolute sincerity and his classic deadpan straight-ahead look, 
but this is like if instead of doing that, he came out with like one of those fake arrows through his head and just hit Will Smith with a chicken. Oh, yeah. It's like Tommy Lee Jones comes out and goes like, hey, Agent J, how are you? Awooga, awooga. <laughs> Why don't you shake my hand there, pal? Ha <laughs> ha, fake hand. What about that? Hey, you want some canned brittle in a can, huh? Open that up. Whoa, snakes, it's me, Agent K. This all makes perfect sense. <laughs> Here, sniff my rose. Ah, <laughs> squirted you. <laughs> Looky here, Buster, you need a pie in the face. I'm Agent K. God, there is... That's... I'm looking at a joke in one of these that is, mm-hmm. I believe, in a paragraph longer than the text of the rest of the paragraph. That's common. There, yeah, they will go a long walk for a joke in this book. There is a a bit at the beginning where it's talking about weapons, and they're like, oh, you know, you should probably have one weapon per team member, and uh, the men in black usually possess only the weakest of alien technology. But take a tip from the Boy Scouts. Be prepared. Or is that be thrifty? No, wait, maybe it's be witty. Or be honey. Uh, make sure you have bee honey? Hmm, I'm not sure where they were going with that, but I guess it couldn't hurt. Maybe the aliens are allergic to it. Ahayaka, hiyaka, hiyaka. <laughs> There's so many of these. The first page has one of those little, like, descriptions of play where it's like, the director, hey, who ate all the chips? Which, within five lines, is just fart jokes. Ah. So it it just it goes so fast off the rails into just generic jokiness. There's a section where it's trying to explain why some skills will have like set like artist, for example, is one of the skills you can select in the game. Uh, but you have to specify what kind of artistry it is that you perform. So if you write artist, then put dancing, whatever whatever your specific artistry style is. And it explains this by saying, you'll notice that some skills have a colon after them. No, no, not that kind of colon. Ew, stinky. We're talking about the kind that looks like this. Oh, God, there were times in this book where they would be saying something and then they'd be like, ah, but not this. Get your mind out of the gutter. And I was like, uh, who would have ever thought what you are trying to mark the like combine this with? Like, I don't understand what you're doing here. Yeah. So, and it stretches into descriptions of how the game should be played as well. Like, yes, what we're trying to say here at first is the uh, the rules description is chock full of just borscht belt slapstick jokes for no fucking reason at all that do not gel with the men in black humor style in the slightest. Not even a uh, little. But, uh, yeah, but also in gameplay descriptions, they'll be... They have this whole thing where they're like, oh, yeah, the proper way to be an agent is to be as confusing as possible to everyone you meet all the time, because that'll keep them off base. So either just lie to them in ways that you think might be convincing or just be, you know, fishmalk style cheeseball crazy. Uh, so, hey, uh, that hair crate doesn't make the grade. Of course, it'll cost you to find out about signing up for the men in black. You got any Indian head nickels or maybe a woman's shoe with a lovely lace fringe? That's <laughs> like just... What? What are you talking about? Are you just listing random things? Yeah, there was, for some reason in this book, they decided that the Men in Black, instead of being a serious organization that attempts to stop people from finding out about aliens, are going out there and just being as strange as possible so that no one knows they exist. Like, the best way that we can make sure that you know, our identity is secret is if we get out there and are like, do you have a pen? Ah, thank you. And then like use it to, uh, I don't know, eat food with you're like, yeah, just be as strange as possible. That'll keep people guessing. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I kind of get it because I'm sure they're trying to base it on the movie where Tommy Lee Jones, his character, Agent K, would be routinely just sort of instantly making up ridiculous lies. Yes, ma'am, I'm from the water department, that kind of shit. But just taking it to like three steps further. That's the problem. Is uh, it's it's got things like oh, and you know, none of the equipment you use will make any sense, so that that way it'll confuse other people. Why would you ever press the stop button to stop a thing? That doesn't make any sense. It should be you press the rewind button, and that will stop things. Like what? Yeah. No, none of this is in character for this entire thing. Yeah, and they don't make up very much new stuff here. So while there are a couple of new alien species specifically so that they can write sample adventures, largely it's just stuff from the first movie, just sort of given stats, to the point where they run out of space or, or things to do and just give the same thing different stats twice. The That one scene in the movie where Will Smith is wandering around the MIB headquarters for the first time and he, like, moves a yellow ball and it starts zinging around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that thing gets statted twice and just uses the same joke from the movie both times. Oh, good. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's the zinger. It caused the New York blackout of 77, and then it just gets two completely different stat blocks. I mean, all of the aliens in this get two different stat blocks, but all of that is just because it will give you the actual alien from the film stats, so it'll be like, okay, here's a Baltian and the Baltian you saw in the movie is this guy, here's all of his stats, and then here are generic stats for a Baltian. Yeah, it was the same thing with, uh, you know, the Tony Shalhoub character that gets his head blown off. Uh, they they give you that specific character stats, and then they actually use that species again in one of the adventures. Uh, so, I don't even remember which species that is. The one that regenerates automatically. Yeah, I, no idea. It, it doesn't... Yeah. Uh, the scoop, it looks like. Ah, okay. Very good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I honestly had forgotten so much about the Old Men in Black t- or, or movie that when it when it went into great detail about the annelid species, where it described them as exceptionally worm-like, I was like, oh, is that the coffee-drinking, wisecracking ones in the break room? Nah, couldn't be. They weren't anything like worms. Oh, nope, that's them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're like worms, I guess, in that they are living beings? <laughs> the book actually says in their stat line that because they are worm-like, and they were called annelids in the movie, so I get where this is coming from, uh, that they slither around on their stomachs instead of walking. And I'm like, no, they don't. I saw the fucking movie. No, they walk around. We see them walking around. I mean, we don't see them mocking around much because they're animatronics, but we do see, I think, at least one or two shots of them actually do it. Huh. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's supposed to be the MIB that you remember from the movie. So uh, a secret organization of people selected for their extraordinary, extraordinary skill uh, who are brought on board to keep the existence of aliens on Earth a carefully guarded secret. Uh, but also leak alien technology from time to time to alter the course of human technological history. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, it's one of those books from the 90s where that does not bear out, because the characters, despite the one line I could remember from the movie, uh, 
sir, we are here because we are the best of the best of the best of the best, sir, was the only line I could really remember. Uh, your character is excruciatingly average when created. Yeah, the especially when you look at the difficulty chart for things, because it has, I mean, your basic function in this to do anything is you will have a number of six-sided dice that you will roll, uh, and you're trying to meet or beat whatever the difficulty is. Now, a moderate challenge, so what you should generally be rolling against, is an 11 to 15, and I'm going to say for the most part, you're going to have like three dice to roll, which means on Mm -hmm. average you will fail even an easier moderate task. Yeah, that's correct. This is one of those games from the 90s where the success range for a basic job is 45 to 51 percent. They they hadn't quite, maybe that was the point. I don't know. I keep saying things like they hadn't quite figured out what people want from role-playing games yet, but I don't know. Maybe this is exactly what people wanted, was to fail more often than succeed. I really do want to, like, find out from any given uh, game designer of that time to be like, was this on purpose? Like, did you go in thinking, you know what, about a 50-50 shot of being able to succeed at anything is what we are aiming for? Or were you just bad at math and didn't realize that you were making it so that your players just failed most of the time? And if you did intend for your characters to fail most of the time, how did you connect that to the story that you had licensed a game for? Like when you were like, well, let's get let's make Men in Black the game. Uh, what do I know about Men in Black? Uh, the characters are hyper competent. That's a big part of it. They even Will Smith's character, uh, Jay, who is brand new, hugely uh, naive to the agency, is picked specifically because he's like a crazy badass who is extremely confident, never misses his bullets and can run down fast aliens. Uh, do you think he should succeed about 45% of the time? Is that, was that the goal? It's, it's so weird because the general assumption here as well is that you're like, Oh yeah. Even if you start the game, you're like, you're a new recruit. Like you're just coming in. You should still be pretty much amazing. And even if you aren't amazing at everything, you'd think the game would allow you to at least pick a couple of things and go, okay, yeah, you should be great at these. So, you know, if you were making the Will Smith character, you'd be like, all right, sure, maybe I have 3D in most things, but, like, my marksmanship and my running ability are both very good. Yeah, you'd want him to be really good at running, marksmanship, and kind of a whatever one of the confidence or charisma skills adds up to fast talking. Yeah, you'd get, I don't know, probably either charm or persuasion. Yeah, because those are the things he's good at. But while the game does allow very flexible stat creation to kind of create the character you want to, uh, it, it doesn't matter because we've only mentioned the difficulty for the moderate task difficulty. It ramps up significantly faster than the dice ramp up in your stats. Yes, and... The thing that they are sort of relying on here to do a lot of heavy lifting for stuff is the standard West End Games wild die. So one of the dice that you roll should be a different color from the other ones anytime you roll to do something. 
And if that die comes up a one, you remove that die and the highest other die that you rolled from your result. So most of the time you're just going to, if you roll a one, fail outright unless you have a ton of dice. And mm -hmm. if it rolls a six, then you get to have the die explode and it will keep exploding until you stop rolling sixes with that die. Yeah, so it's it's a chance for you to succeed wildly, uh, but really all it does is kind of make the game swingier than it had been previously. Well, when you look at something is, like a D20 game and you go like, oh yeah, a 1 or a 20 is going to be, you know, a critical success or a failure, you go, okay, that means 1 in 10 rolls is going to be weird, and in this game, 1 in 3 rolls is going to be weird. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's a little more swingy than you'd think, because normally people will argue like, OK, D20 is too swingy. Let's replace it with a 3D6 system, because that way it's close enough to the same uh, kind of breadth of, of information. You lose one and two. Technically, you lose 19 and 20, technically. But uh, you, you can generally more easily predict that you're looking at a 10.5 range for most rolls. Yeah, you get an actual bell curve instead of just a complete randomization. So here we see a game that gets that and it's like, hey, let's build a bell curve for your basic stat mechanic. Also, let's immediately ruin that. Yeah, and it ends up being, I would say, probably worse then it is helpful because anytime you are looking at a difficulty that you're like, oh, I need the wild die to come up a six, mm -hmm. it's because you have no chance of getting to it. And even if you did roll a six, you know, if the next one you roll or the rest of your dice weren't particularly good or anything like that, you could still fail. But with any given standard roll, you'd be like, all right, this is like 11 difficulty it's not very hard you've got let's say four dice in this and you roll you get the one you're like oh you failed this should have been yeah. something your character does very easily and you just shit the bed for no reason yeah like i was saying earlier uh, because the, the ghostbusters game is another west end games d6 product uh it, it's a lot earlier and a lot less refined than this game is but it's got that same sense of uh, wackadoo nonsense happening that belies the concept of the game that they're licensed or the world that they're licensing. Yeah. Uh, and we saw that exact level of goofball humor in it as well. Remember how there was like a have Peter Venkman make a persuasion roll? Oops, he failed it. He has to eat his necktie. Oh, yeah. Or like the, oh, you fell off a roof and bounced off of a, a like awning and then into a muscly guy's hot tub and he's not too happy. Yeah, there was also one where someone failed an eat roll and tried to eat a telephone. Uh, it, but we're seeing the same thing here, where they introduce an element of, for lack of a better term, slapstick, which you don't really want or need in the setting that you're trying to recreate. Yeah, they went real heavy on the idea that this was going to be a yuck -em ups comedy setting, but I feel like most people that were buying a Men in Black RPG were like, oh, we want to do something in the Men in Black universe and we can have some humor, but that should mostly come from the setting rather than our characters, like, go out and trip over their own feet and then land in a puddle. Oh, how funny. 
Now, speaking of characters tripping and falling over their own feet, it's definitely a good time to talk about the classic West End Games sample adventure, choose your own adventure thing. Yeah. That usually eats up about 20 pages of any given one of their books. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it's largely just bullshit traps uh, and and jokes. Yeah, now so you it'll can be, it'll... go through this, and if you pick, you know, the actual correct thing for everyone, you're like, ah, oh, good, I won't go, like, eat this grenade. You're like, okay, good, great. <laughs> you did it. Yeah, but the first one is like, oh, you need to neuralize a person. Uh, what do you do? I neuralize them immediately. Or B, I do something else first. And it's just a trap to remind you that you have to wear sunglasses before you neuralize someone. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just that kind of thing where, you know, in a, in a real role-playing experience, you just be like, I was wearing my sunglasses. I always wear my sunglasses. I'm a fucking man in black agent. Obviously, I'm wearing my sunglasses. Can we assume basic competency of character, please? Because... I hate to live in a world where I have to tell you every single thing that my character does every single second. That's boring. Yeah, it is. It's a bad precedent to set in the sample to be like, ah, and here are some gotchas you can use. Like, no, please. If I if I say my character is like, all right, uh, well, this guy's trying to tell me about how he saw a UFO fly by. I'll go ahead and neuralize him. And then the GM is like, ah, 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 you didn't say you put on your glasses. I guess you forgot, too. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I forgot I was playing one of those middle school games where I have to say, like, baby B or whatever before I say any sentence. <laughs> I forgot. Thanks for reminding me. This is fun. Mother, may I neuralize this person? Yes, you may. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it, just like you said, it's a bad precedent to set. Uh, I just read the, I've read those sample adventure things so many times. I just read straight through without bothering to really pay attention to the order or play the game. And I mostly just sort of boggled my mind at the dumbness of it all. Yeah, I actually did the adventure and... I'm amazed that there was as much crap in here as they have, because it was just like, what do you do? I go up to a person. I put on my sunglasses and neuralize them. I go to where the crash site is. I say, hey, alien, come with me. And he does so. You leave. You're done. <laughs> yeah. The whole joke is he's an alien from a planet where they have to, like, eat a lot of sugar or something. So... He's a big fat guy who works in a donut shop, and at night when he can't be in the donut shop, he drives around New Jersey stealing sh uh, sugary treats. He's a big fat guy, but unlike most of them, he's an alien. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, so that's a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, it's an eight-stat game. Might as well talk about the rules as we near the halfway mark anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is extremely simple to make your character in this. Like Jeff said, there are the eight attributes. So you get reflexes, coordination, endurance, strength, knowledge, perception, confidence, and charisma. And uh, each for each of those... Sorry. Yeah, no, just you get 24 dice to divide up between those. Yeah, which means that on average, you can easily build a character who has three dice in everything. Uh, when I when you flip to the back of the book, it actually gives you a generic idea of what a character would be like, uh, like what those stats represent, with 2d6 being 
an untrained kind of goofy person and 3d6 representing a professional because they will allow you to uh break up your dice if you want to uh each die is worth three pips so if you want you can have like instead of taking a stat from one die to two dice you could go I'll put two pips in it. Now it's 1D plus two, and I have a plus one to put somewhere else as well. Yeah, and that can work to make one of your die rolls a little more stable. Uh, you can't go above a plus two in a die. So, for example, if you, you can set your coordination to 3D6 plus two, but if you wanted to put another pip in there, it would just turn into a die. Yeah. That said, a plus two is exceedingly useful in those situations because it's not the fucking wild die. Oh, yeah. It, you cannot have that plus two taken away or turned into anything. So very useful for especially lower die totals to do that. Yeah. Now, granted, I believe one of your dice is always the wild die, right? Yes. Which means that technically you always want as many dice as possible to reduce the number of dice that are the wild die because the wild die is there to fuck you. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I mean, technically, it can also reward you, but it's really there to fuck you. I mean, the problem is <sighs> the wild die might be able to help you succeed where you wouldn't have. But yeah. it is also entirely likely that you'd be like, oh, sweet, I got a six, except my role was good enough to succeed at what I was doing anyway. So the fact that it explodes doesn't matter. But a lot of yeah. the time being like, I rolled a one, I get rid of that die and my highest die is going to make you fail, so it ends up being, like, far more likely that it will be punishing than actually rewarding. Right. And again, as an old parallel to a different West End Games game, when bad guys rolled in the old Ghostbusters, the ghost die that they rolled uh, was good no matter what they did. If they rolled a one, a good thing happened. If they rolled a six, a good thing happened. So it's always been more of a punishing mechanic than a reward mechanic. Yeah, even though they try to say, like, oh, this is just to, like, you know, mix things up so that it's not always the same bell curve. Like, yeah, but usually it's just a bad thing for players. Yeah. So you can technically put 3D6 to make yourself a regular trained professional across the board, which, again, strikes me as odd because of the basic nature of the Men in Black universe, where the people who are recruited are the best people they can find, like the absolute cream of the crop. Well, the weird thing to me is they have every single human agent cannot have less than 2D in an, a- in an attribute or more than 4D. So, yeah, you have to go between two dice and four dice. And I mean, even four dice, I go, OK, that's supposed to be like, oh, I'm real good at whatever this is. And you're still like, eh, I'll probably succeed at a moderate task yeah because it changes your average from 10 and a half to what uh 14 yeah and a moderate and a moderate task difficulty is is 11 to 15 yeah and so at that point you're like i will probably succeed at a moderate task and that uh, when we say 11 to 15 we don't mean that you have to roll inside that range or anything we're saying that the moderate task difficulty is any number the dm tells you that's from 11 to 15 yeah so if, so you know he's thinking this is moderate he could set it at 12 they could set it at 14 yeah. whatever yeah uh now of those eight stats two of them are entirely worthless like just 
crazy worthless. Uh, largely the result of this being a regular game engine being applied to license after license. Uh, strength in the Men in Black universe is completely forgettable and pointless, unless you happen to want to lift things. Yeah, there is... In the skill list, uh, all of the different stats have skills associated with them, and if you don't have points in that skill, you just roll your straight stat in it. Strength has one skill, which is lifting, and the only other thing it does is give you extra melee damage in a game about laser guns. Yeah, everyone in this game has ray guns. I mean, yeah, technically there were fights in the movie, but this is the role-playing game. You know full well that everyone's going to just roll to shoot whatever their best weapon is every round, every turn. And since there are no melee weapons in this game outside of, like, bats, no one's ever going to take them. Yeah, it's... And it would be weird to be like, oh, I show up as one of the men in black and I'm, you know, I'm in my black suit and I've got my sunglasses on and I step out from the card i'm like excuse me sir you need to let me through and i have a broadsword with me like it's just weird yeah it's a little outside of the scope of what the the movie would have presented i can almost see having like a metal pipe or a garbage can lid or something like that that's just useful shit you picked up off the ground or to kind of play into like that japanese student delinquent vibe if you've got a big pompadour and a business suit and like a big pipe stretched out over your back you could kind of make that character and have it work but you're not gonna because the laser guns do good damage and have crazy powers associated with them yeah and you wouldn't have to put points into strength you could instead put them into coordination that also has other things you could use it for yeah then the other stat that is you'd put a d6 in it if you could you have to put two in it is charisma which has three stats associated with, or skills associated with it, excuse me, uh, and they are Disguise, Persuasion, and Charm, uh, which you'd think, very useful in a Men in Black scenario, right? Like, you might need to sneak your way into a place, or you might need to charm someone to let you talk to them. The thing is, the Confidence uh, stat has Con and Interrogate. Con completely duplicates the functions of Persuasion and Charm, Uh, interrogate lets you suck information out of people. And why would you ever disguise yourself? The only outfit you're allowed to wear is a black suit. And if you're, if anyone's like, Hey, a guy in a black suit should be in here. You're going to erase their memory. Yeah. Confidence having con interrogate and intimidation is like, okay. If you need to actually interact with someone, you can basically get whatever you need. Now I understand there would be people who are like, yeah, but I want to be the Will Smith smooth type of guy who wants to be like, I'm charming. Okay, sure, fine. You still probably shouldn't put points into the stat, though. If you want, you could be like, all right, sure, I put, you know, a 2D into charisma, and then I'll put some points into charm just so I'm charming, but I'm not going to waste my stat points on it because there's less that is useful in that as opposed to other stats. Exactly. And also, uh, charisma doesn't do anything else. Like, even strength has a mechanic by which it modifies your your melee damage. Charisma doesn't even have that or anything like that. It's just, this affects these three skills. Full stop. Yeah, and given that disguise is pointless as we went over, you're just like, okay, so I guess basically two skills and charm and persuasion are pretty much the same skill which means you're back to the strength problem of having pretty much one skill that matters in your entire stat 
Yeah, and given that con and a charm slash persuasion skill basically have the exact same effects, it's just like if strength had lifting, but then over in endurance there was a skill called picking stuff up. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, charisma, bad, you're, you're probably going to want to dump it. Uh, skills are assigned out, as we've probably gleaned by now, they're assigned out underneath each stat, so it makes it very easy to know your number of dice that you're going to pick up and roll. Uh, there are quite a number of skills in the game assigned out dramatically. Uh, for example, reflexes has like 15 and strength has one. Hmm. Uh, you can also purchase specialties in skills if you want, which I am absolutely sure is only for high end play. Like after you've been playing the game for a really long time, because at the low end, when you're just starting out, they are 100% a bad idea. Yeah. Now I was looking through it cause I was scouring, trying to find any reason to get a specialty. I mean, you start with only seven dice worth of skills, so you really don't have a lot to spare. And if you want your character at the start to have a specialty, it takes one die of uh, your starting character skill points to put one die into a specialty, which is just bad, given that it is like if I want to have marksmanship rifles... I could just have that extra die in marksmanship and be better at rifles and everything else. Yeah. Now, skills have a cap, which probably is the point of of specialties, that you can you can be like, all right, well, I can't get a skill above five dice, but I can get a skill to five dice and then have some dice in rifle to take me way up above the skill cap. Now, I uh, did not ever see a skill cap. I'll tell you that right now. That's true. You know what? You might be right. I might have made that up while I was trying to rationalize this to myself. What I did uh, find also- is the point where the cost benefit begins to tip. Okay, because in the beginning, it if you want to purchase post-character creation uh, specialties versus skills, it is also more expensive to purchase specialties. But yeah. That, may, does that, that changes after a while. So what happens is... Uh, at the beginning, it is bad. Just straight up terrible. Now, oh, yeah. it costs something like five times as much to purchase specialties as it does to just buy the skill fucking dots. Now, later on, it'll be a very good investment of your character points because uh, when you get it, it'll be five character points uh, per one die bonus. So if yeah. you want to go from I have no specialty to a one die specialty, it costs you five points. Right. Now, in in order to improve skills, it costs you a uh, number according to the pips that you are going up. So if I have three dice in a skill and the problem here is it includes your stat in that. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, I put one die of points into, you know, first aid. It's, well, my knowledge was three and I put one into first aid. So it's technically 40 when I go to increase it. Paradoxically, making it easier for you to learn how to do skills when you are bad at them in the first place. Uh, well, I, I guess that oh, kind of yeah, makes sense because you're starting from a lower baseline. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I put a 2D in, uh, let's say, reflexes. And I didn't put any points at all into, say, climbing. Then at that point, 
the way you get pips is you look at how many dice you have, and it costs you that many points to get a pip. So if I have two dice and I want to go to 2D plus two, then it costs me four points to do that. Right. The thing that's confusing to me is let's take a knowledge skill, first aid, all right? And let's say that there's mm-hmm. a character with two di- with two dice in first a- in uh, knowledge and a character with four dice in knowledge, and they both have one die in first aid. Yes. Which one do you think would have an easier time learning a second die in first aid? The person with twice as much raw knowledge as the other one? No. Probably, right? But you'd be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is way easier to increase from a low end to a high end, which for most point by systems is going to be your average it's going to be easier to bring up stuff that's bad than it is to continue to be overwhelmingly good at something so it ends up being that especially once you get to a point where you're like all right i've got like five dice and something it's going to cost me you know let's say 15 character points to go to six dice and 15 character points could instead, if you were at five dice, give you two dice worth of specialty in something. So, yes. Yeah, there's there's reasons why it might be useful, but they are fairly arcane, and it took both of us some time to puzzle them out. Oh, yeah. And again, no starting character will have any specialization, which feels bad. Like, it feels like you should be able to have a starting character that's like, yeah, my thing was whatever. Yeah, the problem with this game is that it presupposes a starting character being a total chucklehead, which, again, it's the men in black. They're not. This isn't their first job. No. Most of them are coming from, like, very professional careers, whether it was because they were, like, high-end military or, you know, mechanical genius or whatever their particular area of expertise was, they are brought in because they are good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Grant, the only thing I remembered about this movie was the scene with the egg chairs, where there's a bunch of, like, Marines and Navy SEALs and shit, and they even make fun of Will Smith, because they're like, all right, well, we have the finest of all Americans' heroes represented here, Air Force, Army, Navy SEALs, and, of course, NYPD, and then everyone else in the room is snickering at him. Like, I remember that from back in 1997, where we didn't have to just automatically suck every cop dick we saw on site. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where it was still cool to make fun of the NYPD in a movie. Remember that? That was a time before the, before, the, before the police unions would literally send people to your house if you made that joke. Uh, okay, well, but that but basically the story still conveys. None of those guys were first day recruits. Uh, the the Navy SEAL was a highly decorated Navy SEAL commander. Like, so this whole thing where it's like, you start with seven dice and you suck at everything, hey, Seed. And it's like, did they change recruiting practices after the movie and before this game? Yeah, it feels just weird to be like, okay, well, I guess if you really decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go heavy in the paint on both the like attribute and the skill for something you'd be like yeah yeah i went real hardcore on this i'm not very good at most things but i can do one thing at like six dice like okay but then you're also kind of a chucklehead at everything else yeah no it's not the best system 
Okay, so you have these skills that you put down. Now you've got your whole skill pool. Uh, you also roll 3d6 and add it to your endurance stat, and that gives you how many health points you have. And then, honestly, you're done making a character. Oh, and just uh, to I mean, note, your body points when you roll that is static forever. They do not change. Oh, that's right. There isn't really a point at which they grow. I, I thought they might grow when your endurance goes up. But uh, the game is like, hey, roll these. You're going to have your body points. This will never change. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I, sure, I guess. Maybe this isn't a game you're meant to play for long periods of time or long campaigns. Or maybe it's trying to do the realistic thing where, you know, people sometimes get mad about high-level D&D where your average fighter has, like, three times as many hit points as your average cow. Huh. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Meat-wise, it's way harder to hack apart a cow than a person. It doesn't matter how many levels the person should have. Yes, but the cow's not really getting out of the way, is he? <laughs> well, I didn't tell you. He's a 10th level cow. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, it changes everything. Uh, and then after that, you've pretty much got your character done. They do mention, I think it's a joke, but they're like, oh, you also need to cover your modus operandi, alias, disposition, goals, and so on. But then there's not really any of that anywhere else, so I'm thinking it's just a joke I read. I mean, I understand that they're like, okay, here's the the basic way you make your character, and then also figure out what your character actually is, because everything before this was just assigning dice to stuff. So, you know, who were they before they joined? You know, what are they, what's their general disposition? Yeah, I guess that's useful information. I mean, the book even, there's a point in the DM advice section where it even goes into like, hey, in a lot of games, it's important to threaten the, the uh, a character by going after their family and stuff. This is going to be tricky in Men in Black because people forswear that shit, but you can still do it. Maybe they just have to go defend them from the shadows. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to do because the entire point is, oh, this person doesn't exist anymore. And there's no longer a record of them. So why anyone would be able to go after someone you cared about would be very weird to begin with. Yeah. So initiative, this combat's the simplest thing in the world in this game. So it's only gonna take me like five seconds to get through it. Initiative is a reflexes roll straight up. Uh, combat is the same thing as any skill. You just put together a skill package, roll it. The person trying not to get hit by you puts together a skill package for defense and rolls it. Uh, every weapon has a damage meter that it does, and then you just roll that damage meter. Done. Yeah. Because uh, you'll probably be using ranged, there are four range bands that will give you either penalties or bonuses, depending on where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some mechanics for, like, cover and shit like that, but come on, there's always that stuff, and we never talk about it, so why we, why would we start now? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go into how much damage you take for falling 20 feet or anything. Yes, it has a falling chart. Yes, there's damage for being on fire. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, you just assume that shit. It's normal. It's fine. Uh, okay, there are a few things in the DM advice section that I thought were at least worthy of discussion. Mm. Uh, whether or not they're any good, I don't know, but they are certainly worth talking about and maybe even refining upon. Uh, the first one of those is the concept of the, what they call it, the tension moment or something like that? Yeah, there is a point where they're like, all right, when you're running the game, you'll come to points where, like, either 
you know, they're trying to, say, defuse a bomb in the last 10 seconds, or someone is jumping out at them, claws out, and you want to make that moment, that thing that is happening, feel tense, instead of just, I roll dice and yes or no. Exactly. And their mechanic for how to do this is you have the player who is going to be doing it, or the players who are going to be doing it, pick up the number of dice that they would roll for that skill. They discard any pips. That's not a part of this. You just pick up the number of dice they would roll for that skill. So, for example, if they need to lift a heavy thing, they just pick up the number of strength dice they have. Uh, Then you assign them a length of time. 30 to 45 seconds is the average. Then... They roll those dice as fast as they can for that entire period of time and count the sixes. Yeah, so you'd be like, all right, you got, you know, 20 seconds. Uh, You got three dice per roll, and every time you get a six, go ahead and count it, and you got to get to ten sixes go. Yeah, so this takes a lot of the basic mechanics of the game and kind of upends them and takes them away. Uh, you're not you're not factoring in your pips. You're not factoring in uh, relative difficulty. Uh, you are throwing. It, it's a skill test, really. It's how fast can you pick up and roll dice, and how quickly can you count results. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a fun skill test. I think this actually might have legs as a design tool. It's interesting. I like it. the The thing is, you in your head made an automatic change to it that I probably would, which is that you said. It was 30 to 45 seconds, whereas the book says 10 to 15 seconds. Oh, shoot. I doubled the times. I apologize for doing so. Uh, but in, in fact, I quadrupled or tripled the times, didn't I? Yeah, you tripled yeah, the time f- it gives you because when it's saying like, ah, you need to get 15 sixes in 10 seconds, you're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, 10 seconds is a lot less time than it feels like it should be, so... I can see that. I would probably increase the amount of time, uh, if maybe not to a full minute, but certainly a bit more than they actually listed there. But like I said, the, the things I'm discussing here this in this DM advice section are offbeat and interesting. I don't necessarily think that they are good in the cur- in the context of this book, but they are worth exploring and have potential for growth. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is the cue cards. Oh, God. The cue card is a system that this game has where it is functionally a way to give out rewards to players. Uh, Mm -hmm. They will have things like, okay, if you uh, do what is on this cue card, you might get a character point. You might uh, heal some of your damage, or uh, you'll get a fate point, which we didn't mention, but fate points are, you can, you know, spend them to get extra die extra die or you can also spend your character points the xp to double your dice that you're getting for something though that is just giving up xp that's a terrible investment it's one of those games that combines the uh the cookies like the bonuses you get in the middle of a game for good role playing with your that you can spend immediately for cool effects with your xp system which i don't know how long west end games did this did anyone ever tell them that no one is willing to spend xp on short-term gains I mean, I figure that's what they were thinking when they were like, oh, we'll make everyone be kind of bad because Mm -hmm. they can always spend one XP and double it. You're like, no, don't don't make it so that my progression is going to be tied into whether I succeed now or not. Yeah, that's it. First of all, it's not conducive to to, uh, the concept of experience 
where you're like, well, I learned something today, but then I immediately threw it away to be good at good at it again, I guess, for a minute. But I didn't retain any of the wisdom I gained from doing so. Yeah. Now, the problem with the cue cards is, while it is there mostly to give out rewards, the thing that they are, at least in the examples, telling you to do are... All right, at the beginning, you'll get a bunch of cue cards, you'll deal three out to every player, and at any point, they can, when it is relevant to whatever's going on and they want to, either do the action on the cue card or say the phrase that is on the cue card. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get the reward. But oh my god, the things that are on the sample cue cards. Yeah, they don't really give a good impression of what to do with this. The sample cue cards are all slapstick shenanigan type stuff uh and and they even try to rationalize that or explain it away by by basically saying you know oh well one of the cue cards says take your shoe off in the middle of everything that's going on and pretend it is a telephone and then it's like well maybe you're meeting a magical alien ambassador for whom his species taking off an item of clothing is very very positively received yeah when you take off an item of clothing that is seen as a humble greeting. And so, you know, you gave him a cue card for something that seems random, but within the game was actually, you know, useful, which would so be this creates- fine. But most of them are just things like, oh, uh, the dialogue I have to say is, if I had a nickel for every festering mutant amboid I've kissed, I mean, I mean, uh, seen, stalked uh bagged no wait i meant to say captured that's the whole thing that's the cue card fuck that cue card yeah no and the one before it uh the action that you have to perform is take off your shoes place them over your ears and scream shaka on my alley pants now you have to explain to everyone else why you just did that and here's what's going to happen Someone's going to do that because they would like to heal one die of body points. They're going to scream Shaka on my alley points, and then they're going to turn to everyone else and say, I did that because the cue card said I had to. I mean, even in character, you just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I saw a Flibnaf go by, and uh, that's the phrase to say hello to them. Sorry. Yeah. The, the problem, and there are several of them. One of them, these jokes aren't very funny, so they kind of leave an idea that you know, you're going to have to be a better writer than we are in order to make these interesting. The secondary, and I would say actually larger problem, is that they they give you this advice like, oh, make sure that these seem random but are actually super important over the course of the game. Once the players grok that, they're never going to use them until it comes together as the puzzle piece. But the thing is, there's no way to know that. Because, like, again, with the... Uh, like the ambassador that comes by and that alien race you've decided likes it when someone takes off a piece of clothing. You don't know that that's the thing that this alien is going to like. Some other player might have a card that says, ah, take out your gun and point it at your shoe and say, I'll get you next time. And they do that instead of you doing your take off an article of clothing thing. And it didn't do anything. Yay. I mean, what's the first time it's you play it, what's going to happen is in the first five minutes, everyone's going to say a bunch of dumb shit and get a bunch of free points and stuff. I mean, the It'll biggest like, concern okay. I have is that where you're like, okay, everyone understands that cue cards are involved. 
So within, like you said, the first five minutes, everybody just does a bunch of dumb shit. No one cares because everyone realizes why everyone else is doing it and you move on. Or you have one of those awful DMs who's like, yeah, and on this cue card, it says you got to get your, your dick out and go take a look at this gentleman and swing it around. <laughs> yeah, I could see some of them making people uncomfortable, which should be handled by the same safety tools that you use in every old playing game you play nowadays. This one has none because it's from the 90s and no one even thought that that was something anyone would want. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's all these ones that are just worth like static resources that you might as well want right away. Uh, for example, uh, a character point. This is just XP here. Have some XP. How do you get it? Well, you say, don't make him come over there. Shiny boy. He saw what you did and it has to be said to a random civilian and you're just going to do it the first time you see a civilian because why would you waste the opportunity to get free XP by waiting for the right moment during a session? Yeah, that's the problem is... It's just a thing that you have to do. It should be, okay, if you can make something interesting happen, then you could get a reward. It should be, essentially, like the interest buy cards that were uh, from the last game that we reviewed with interest buy, where you go, okay, instead of it being a specific thing that you do, have it be an improv prompt. Have it be a way in which you change the scene or add information rather than just you do some slapstick, a yucks. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of things about this that I like. I like the idea of reward cards that encourage active role play. I think that's smart. And I think that that could be stolen from this and worked into something else. And it already has been like John's mentioning an interest by, uh, I, I, that said, I think that a lot of this needs to be taken out of the DM's hands. Because right now, it's the DM, before the game, writes 15 jokes and hands them out at random to a bunch of players. And they, they are probably going to be bad jokes, and maybe they'll have something to do with a planned event in your game, but the players aren't going to know when or what, and it's just going to seem all random and pointless, and they're just going to get it out of the way early. Uh, but if you take it and put it in the player's hands and say, hey, you have three cards. One of them gives you some XP. One of them gives you a heal. One of them gives you a reroll. Now, I want at the top of the card for you to write down things that are relevant to your character. I mean, for me, uh, I would say putting something that is, instead of a dumb joke or whatever, you write on the card, like, explain how you already know a character currently in the scene. Exactly. That's perfectly fine, too. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Uh, there are so many ways to make this work interestingly. Uh, the interest buy cards had all kinds of cool stuff like this. Like, I could totally see one in a Men in Black thing that would be like, Scene change. You're in a random new place. How did you get there? What are you doing there now? Yeah. Or just, you know, uh, have a cue card in there that says you are back at base and Zed wants to know about your mission. What do you tell him? Yeah. Or, you know, you know, the alien that ever that you have to meet. Why, why do you know him? And what was the interaction? Yeah. Having things that is world building or character building, something that adds to the game would be interesting. You know, dumb catchphrases and slapstick shit, not interesting. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right there. I just think that there's, like I was saying before, this is straight up a raw idea. And I think that there's some, uh, there's some potential there. 
Plus, I mean, it's something different. If these weren't in here, this book would have been dull as dishwater. It's true. There's very little in here that, you know, just from a game mechanic standpoint, sets it apart from any other West End Games game. Yeah. Then eventually you get into a section about gear and, oh boy, if you remember the stuff they sent, they mentioned in the movie, here it is again with the same jokes, just in case. Oh my goodness, a little tiny gun called the Noisy Cricket. That's a crazy name for a gun. And you say it actually shoots really, really big? Okay. You know, they did that joke in the film. <laughs> ah, good. <laughs> uh, and it, Oh, the car can drive on the ceiling of like an overpass bridge or something? What a wacky idea. You know, they did that in the film. Hmm. <laughs> There's nothing new. It's just the stuff from the film again, and it just doesn't, you know, feel funny the second time around. No, when it's, and here we are explaining the joke to you, you're like, ugh, no, no thank you. And then with the NPCs, they've taken the, the interesting people that they meet throughout the game and being like, they're like that because their species is like that. Yeah, please so don't that, Star that, wars five Men in Black. Yeah, so you do that same thing with the fucking cold open of of the movie where they find that alien dressed as like a grungy old homeless dude or whatever he's supposed to look like. And it turns out it's some guy named Mikey who's like a grungy dirtbag alien. And then something sets him off and he goes crazy and attacks. I think it's just seeing a civilian. Uh, But then they're like, oh yeah, he's a Vara. They all do that all the time. They're all dirtbags, the lot of them. Yeah, they're just they're just big dumb idiots who will attack people who see them in their alien form violently. Okay, well, I guess that's all a, it, it couldn't just be that that guy was a dumb di- like dickhead. It's got to be the whole species. All right, thanks. Yep. Uh, but and so then there's a section on how to build your own random aliens, how to build your own random weapons, uh how how to build your own alien races because this book does actually float the concept that you could play as a men in black agent who is an alien though it strongly advises you do not yeah which uh, because okay i guess yeah the whole point of the men in black is it's supposed to be essentially humans trying to work with aliens i mean i get that except that one of the storylines of Men in Black is that any person you see on the street who's an alien is because they're passing. Like, you've got all those, like, oh, I, I bet you wouldn't guess that that uh, Ma- Michael Jordan's an alien. Ha <laughs> ha! It's because he's so good at basketball. Humans can't be that good at basketball. Uh, and so on. Remember there was that, that scene where there was, like, all the celebrities you think are aliens are aliens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, it, there's... And plus, even the really big aliens always fit in the fucking costume anyway, like that worm thing that Will Smith had to help deliver as a baby. Yeah. So there should be nothing really wrong with the fact that since the Men in Black was formed during the Roswell incident in, like, 1950, aliens have been around for 45 years. Some of them might have joined the one agency in the world that knows about them. No, I think that's fine. It's just, you know generally the like the plot you would assume would be very you know human centric then again the cartoon definitely did have an alien agent and also a wacky alien doctor obviously i still have absolutely no memory of that whatsoever but yeah there's a whole section that's like hey if you want to play as an alien agent go ahead but 
guarantee you it's not going to be as fun as you think it is. <laughs> no, it's going to uh, be and fine. Then there's, yes, it'll be fine. It'll be fucking fine. Don't worry about it. And then there's an adventure. Indeed. It's called Revenge of the Geek, and it even features a pawn shop owner who is one of those aliens where you can blow their parts off and it regrows. So maybe that's the same guy. I don't remember his name in the movie. Uh, I don't know. It's in the book because obviously it is. Uh, well, it says his name is Belloc, but I don't know if that's if Belloc was Tony Shalhoub's character in the movie or not. Probably not. <laughs> And then we're done. And that's that's everything. That's the game. Uh, it's a very simple engine, so it's very easy to explain. And I think we've done so. So happy Ween! Yay! A blessed Ween. Oh, his name was Jack Jeebs. Jeebs. Okay. Yeah. Boy, boy, oh boy. Is this ever stirring up a lot of old memories in me? I haven't seen that movie since it was in theaters. Uh, I rewatched it semi-recently, like at least a couple years ago, and was like, you know, this kind of holds up still. This isn't no, bad. I'm sure it would. And the thing is, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, both amazing actors. I'm really looking. I, I like them both a very great deal. I really like the Edgar Bugsuit character. Oh yeah, it's D'Onofrio. Yeah, it's D'Onofrio, and oh gosh, even his wife is someone. Although her name escapes me at the moment. Uh, e- everybody's good in this. Rip Torn, fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I'm, so it's just good character work and fun to watch. I this. I just had completely forgotten about it. No, no, that's fair. Uh, yeah, for years, my sole experience with Men in Black was, God, there are so many people horny for Lara Flynn Boyle. <laughs> hey, I get it. I'm Sure, I'm, I'm on board. I'm surprised there were less people Googling for pictures of Johnny Knoxville from that movie, because that's the only other thing I remember about it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen a single one of the other ones. Uh I, I remember being endlessly disappointed to learn that there would not be a, a uh, 21 Jump Street 3 Men in Black. Because that was some, apparently a thing that was actually going to happen. But then they just made that boring movie with young Tommy Lee Jones instead, but jo- playing by Josh Brolin. Because mm, mm, mm. Lord knows, might as well just use the same characters again, huh? Even if we can't get the actors anymore. Well, yeah, obviously. Anyway, John... Jeff, what was what was your favorite thing about this, this game, this experience? You know, we didn't really talk about it, but I would like to say the rules for vehicles in this are actually very good, because normally when we look at a game and it's like, here are all the rules. Here's how you make a character. Here's how you do skills. Here's how you do combat. And now vehicles. Here's an entirely different system of how it works. And in this game, so true. it is the exact same. They're like, hey, did you want to figure out your initiative in a car? It's just reflexes, but you're in a car. Did you want to get out of the way? It's dodge, but you're in a car. Like, who gives a shit? It's all the same roles. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I like that. I've seen other games that pull that move, and I generally appreciate it because, yeah, the moment they're like, hey, vehicle rules are completely different. No one's ever going to drive a car in this game because it's just too much of a pain in the ass to bother with. Well, yeah, the second they're like, oh, well, you'd better figure out the speed you're going, and what's the curve of that turn you're going around? Well, that's going to affect difficulty. I'm like, please don't. Just, Just don't. 
Also, it's the exact same thing when you see like complicated machine gun rules where they're like, oh yeah, you can also use this to create a zone of suppressive fire. First, you need to divide your number of maximum shots by 1.6. Then, and you're just like, no one will ever do this. No one will ever fucking do this. You made it too bit complicated. Yeah. So I I appreciate the simplicity in the vehicle rules. I will say that. Okay. Very good, sir. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with the tension moment thing. I think that's fun to introduce a little physicality and like physical challenge into a game setting. It just seems neat to me. Now, granted, I am fully aware that that's actually kind of an ableist system where uh, doing something fast and reliably is is not something every player at the table can do. But it was just something different. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. So let me, I'm acknowledging that it's a problematic thing. And sometimes it's like, sometimes you just have to roll with the punches. I'm trying to do that now. I thought it was kind of a neat mechanic. I mean, at least what was your you least favorite thing? Do you know, picking up dice and rolling over and over, you could get your like die rolling app and just hit roll over and over and count to sixes. <laughs> yeah. You just get one of those old, like, like, uh, roguelike games like a tome or or, or uh, moria or whatever and just be like roll 2d6 a thousand times and print out the results well oh. <laughs> uh, i'm gonna say that and kind of a cue card thing as well i like the interesting ideas that were that existed in the dm section all right what would you say is your least favorite thing oh it's obviously the bullshit stupid hacky jokes it made this book <laughs> So hard to read every time for like two weeks, I would open this book up and be like, okay, here we go. Men in black. Let's do this. I would read four pages and go, fuck this book and close it because I could not deal with the consistent every other sentence joke nonsense. Yeah, you got a chance to start this book a little before I did, and when you texted me that, I was like, it can't be that bad. So I opened it for the first time, it was like, holy fuck, is there a fart joke in the first ten words? Holy god. Oh, yeah. You open this book up and you're like, oh no, this is out the gate. They don't even wait. It is <laughs> off to the races. Yeah, so I'm, I'm there with you on that one. You were absolutely right. The jokey tone of this book is not only not connected to the story that they're trying to tell, but it's bad in the, in general. Yeah. It makes it harder to read because it's just awful. And it also is so wildly different from the tone of what they are trying to present. So yeah, there you Absolutely. go. Uh, I'm going to say my least favorite thing is the, my common problem with licensed games, which is that the interest in the game stops exactly at what was in the movie. Ah, uh, now, West End Games famously doesn't do this all the time. Like, half the shit in Star Wars is because some writer at West End Games thought of it. Like, all the expanded universe stuff. What Bothans are, Kate was come up with by West End Games. Oh, yeah. A ton of that stuff was West End Games. Yeah, the corporate sector come up by West End Games. The Tonica Sisters, West End Games. All these little margin things that we now kind of know about and take for granted if you read a lot of EU novels uh, were really West End Games stuff. So they were willing to research or even invent. But in this book, no, it ends at Noisy Cricket in that ball. Uh, I will also throw out here for my uh, honorable mention of worst thing in this book, the background images that they put in here 
Oh, yeah. There is a lot of like, oh, we're going to make this entire page have like little swirly circles all over it. They're dark and will make it impossible to read what's on the page. There you go. Bye. That's bad even in books we like. Like Secret of Ziran, which we both really appreciated, had a real problem where the, uh, the, the printer fucked up and put the background elements in front of the text. Uh, but there are several books that we've read like that where they try to get creative with putting shit in the background behind the text. Uh, sometimes it's blobs. This one actually commits the ultimate cardinal sin. I've seen in a few books prior as well, which is making the background behind the text other text. Yeah, the the specifically the official Men in Black skill list where it's trying to tell you all the skills and then the background images is just like sort of alienish writing that looks like uh you know some bullshit made up math but it's all writing in the background so it goes along and kind of makes it difficult to see what you're doing you've got like whole lines going across certain words where it just looks like it's crossed out and you have to really squint to see what it says it is a pain in the ass there's at least one page in this book where the background image on which the text is printed is a dossier printed up with regular ass text. Mm, mm, it mm. is uh, almost completely unreadable. Uh, granted, I think it's a sidebar or something, so it's probably not essential. But Jesus, why would you do that? People yeah, have it's, to, have to have told it's some you bad choices. That looks bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, would you play this game? Uh, With certain caveats, sure. It's very easy. Uh, it's got, you know, some interesting ideas for things like the cue cards. If you change that up to be like what we were saying, sure, that would be fun. I would just want to play a slightly more experienced character than an, like, opening character. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Once you get out of the book, this is just a rules light system, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. There's not a lot uh of horrible nonsense that you have to memorize or weird esoteric rules yeah so you, sure you have to read the 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 book and all of its yuck-em-ups once but then you're like all right fine i'm just playing men in black i'll use the rules light system and i'll actually get the tone right because i know the tone of men in black yep so yeah i think with reservations i would also potentially play this game uh i wouldn't read it again i'll tell you that much no for sure yeah so there you have it. Uh, a, a surprising after all of that dumping would would play from both of us. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, otherwise, I think we actually do have a quick uh, announcement mastery this week. Oh my goodness! Did you know that if you go mm -hmm, to our I'm website systemmasterypodcast.com, dot com and you go to give us some money for a few dollars, and by a few I mean like fifty, you can. Have us read some shit on air. It's a deal. That's right. It's a deal for now. We're actually going to raise that price at the end of the year. I'm not sure what to, but we've uh, noticed that every podcast of about our size is charging way more than we are, and we're selling ourselves just a tiny bit short. So get them in now. At the end of the year, we will be we'll, we'll be jacking that price up a, a bit. So if you have yeah, ads, stick you them want in red, now. Yeah, get them in there. Get them in there. Get them in there for the holiday season. Jam it in there. One. Jam it. <laughs> Smash it. John, <laughs> I, I you asked not you to. not to. <laughs> uh, uh, this is a really nice one. I'm going to start it right here. Shout out okay. to Dave Landry, 
Oh, okay, I'll start again. Shout out to Dave Landry at Landry Games for always being there for your little brother and showing me the magic of tabletop RPGs. Thanks for always having my back from Rick. And that's from our friend, a friend of the show, at R. Kreutz Landry. That's R-K-R-E-U-T-Z-L-A-N-D-R-Y. That's our friend Richard. Yay! He was involved in the uh, in the making of a game that we both really appreciated reading. Uh, help me out, John. The name has immediately escaped me and replaced <laughs> with 15 other water games. Descent <laughs> into Midnight. I'm not the worst person Blue in planet. the world. Descent, oh, Descent into Midnight. Okay. All right. <laughs> Azure Seas. It's that one. Furry uh. Pirates. That tickled me. <laughs> the damn level of the first Ninja Turtles game on the Nintendo. Oh, no. Wait, he was resp- he was responsible for that? Let's fucking get him. Get he wants rope. to taste the curb. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you have it. Thanks, Richard. Uh, and, uh, hey, that those are really easy to get, but another way you can support us is just to go on down to system or patreon.com slash system mastery. Yes, indeed. For a single dollar, you'll unlock bonus content right here on this show where we'll go and make characters in the engine of the game we just reviewed. Sometimes we learn a little more just by doing that. Uh, it gives you a chance sometimes. to get a little further. Yeah, sometimes, almost every time <laughs> we get a little deeper. Uh, and it's it's fun. We have a good time making up dumb characters. We've been doing it for years. We are really pushing the limits of how stupid a character can be. Indeed. And given how nothing the rules for making a character are here we're gonna have to come up with some stuff yeah so uh so we'll do our best to come up with some fun stuff there is a section on how to make your character and uh it's gonna be really exciting for us to kind of go through that and talk about it in the air once again patreon.com slash system mastery only a dollar there are other levels available uh for other bonus pod podcasts at a certain point, you can actually end up unlocking, I think it's nine episodes in a regular month. Yes, indeed. And this isn't a regular month. There'll be ten episodes, because there'll be three episodes of TV Mastery. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for listening and for your support. You've all been wonderful. We'll see you real soon in the bonus content, or in two weeks, with yet more of my exciting ween. Because in space... No one can hear you, Ween. Hey, Mom, there's something in the back room. Hope it's not those assholes, Jeff and John. You used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring. We all know it's time for Ween.